So uh, two thoughts, both are uh, Nachon as we would say in Hebrew, they are Al-Quran, and very much attached to the calendar that we're living in in the moment. The first, of, of course, is the, uh, some of the drama that's taking place in Israel. Just want to introduce uh, perhaps a thought or two surrounding it. The uh, precursor, the prologue to the uh, events that are taking place in Israel uh, reflect almost a week or two, two weeks back where there were imminent threats of um, anti-tank rockets being shot from Gaza to Israeli settlements and in particular along the roadways uh, that go through Israel along the border with Gaza. There is not, just for the record, uh, there is not a small amount of traffic that finds its way on those roads that's, that, that abut alongside the borders of the state of Israel and Gaza. And so there was great threat to human life to be found there. Uh, as a result of that, the Israelis did two things. One, uh, they had a daring raid inside Jenin in the West Bank to capture one of the top uh, commanders of the Islamic Jihad movement. And then secondly, when I believe they had more imminent information of danger to come their way, there was a targeted assassination of another top leader of the Islamic Jihad movement, which was actually in Gaza itself. Rockets, as you know, yesterday, apparently last night as well, were tossed over to Israel. My son Ari, who lives in Tel Aviv, uh, he's fortunate enough to live in a building that has a uh, bomb shelter. Some of his friends uh, live in much older buildings that do not have bomb shelters. As a result, uh, Friday afternoon, he went to go pick up some friends and they slept over at his, um, at his apartment. And as is the rule, as is the rule in these kinds of moments, it's funny how you think of small details and they don't actually, actually creep into your mind when you hear the news, but Israelis sleep in their clothes, not in their pajamas in these moments. So they go to bed wearing their clothes. The questions that emerge from this, I think, are a few. Number one, remember that the, that the organization that nominally appears to control Gaza is another terrorist organization called Hamas. Both of these organizations, by the way, Hamas and Islamic Jihad, are both funded by Iran. Hamas controls Gaza for the most part, and the question is, will Hamas get involved in the campaign against Israel? Are they going to launch rockets? Rockets have been launched, but not of the kind and variety and the technological superiority that Hamas has in its arsenal. That's the first question. It appears to be that, as of now, Hamas is not getting involved. And the question is why. One answer may very well be um, that Hamas has no desire to escalate this conflagration because up until about a week ago, between 14 and 20,000 Gazans were passing through the border check every day to go to Israel and earned between 12 and 16,000 shekel a month that they would then bring back to Gaza and that those 14 to 20,000 people would roughly support about 100 to 125,000 Gazans or about 5% of the population. For a city, which Gaza is, that lives under the thumb of horrific poverty, this is not a small achievement. And it was only, only accomplished through a careful network of negotiations between the Israelis and Hamas. As long as the quiet is kept in Gaza, they can come in and work in Israel. 
makes total sense. So the question is, does Hamas really want to upset the apple cart to this degree and throw these 14 to 20,000 people back into poverty and the other 100,000 people who are relying on these funds? The other question is, Hamas may not want to get involved in this. They, want to, they may perhaps want to let the Israelis wipe out their competitor, Islamic Jihad, and stand on the side. The other thing that Hamas may in fact want to do is wait until the point that, that the Islamic Jihad is actually about to break and they step in and broker a peace deal. So they look like a hero, a champion on both sides of the coin. Lots of questions, but I think perhaps most pressing for us is as you probably know in a few months time there's going to be yet another election in the state of Israel. The sitting prime minister, the interim prime minister is Yair Lapid. And Lapid, who has no combat record on his resume, by the way. Of course, he served in the army, but he was Dobet Sahal. He was like um, an army spokesperson. He didn't serve in a combat role. This is a critical moment for him. And it probably bears well to say that both for Hamas and Islamic Jihad, that they have to be very careful because unlike Bibi Netanyahu or other prime ministers who came before who had ample, ample military experience, Yair Lapid does not have that record of experience in the minds of the Israeli public. And so it begs, of course, to assume that he's going to double down strongly on any threat in order to amplify his credentials to the Israeli public that he can face these kinds of challenges. I don't think he has a lot of wiggle room inside of him. And I think what you're seeing over the past day, there was a, a mobilization of 25,000 reservists in Israel. Uh, there's been a, a massive massing of material along the border there. I think he is prepared to send a loud and clear message. And in his uh, remarks on Friday afternoon, he basically said that these people are not going to set the agenda for us. So I think they may have assumed that he might be weak. But I think the opposite is going to happen. He's going to be doubly strong because of, the, uh, because of both the security and the more pressing political realities that are surrounding him in the moment. Okay, so that's Israel. But the other thing that is very occurring, of course, is um, Tisha B'Av, which is beginning tonight. What is Tisha B'Av? Is it, a, it is the day which is the ninth day of Av. Actually, that's today, by the way. But we don't fast on Shabbat, with the exception of one Jewish fast day, Yom Kippur. And why that's the case, we're not going to go into. But uh, Tisha B'Av starts tonight, beginning tomorrow. It commemorates the destruction of the first and second temples, and not a small number of horrific Jewish moments that followed thereafter. In a, a conversation I had with a friend yesterday, and it's, I think before I get to that point, it's, I think it's interesting to note that Tisha B'Av, the observance of it by and large, is most widely observed, sadly of course, in the more traditional orthodox elements of the Jewish world. It is the only rabbinic fast in the Jewish calendar that lasts for 25 hours, just like Yom Kippur. All the other rabbinic fasts are sunrise to sunset. So this impacts or, or communicates the severity and weight of what the holiday of Tisha B'Av is speaking to. But I was speaking to a friend yesterday, and in the conversation, I asked him, I said, according to Maimonides, 
when the Messiah arrives, Maimonides writes that only one Jewish holiday will remain. Only one Jewish holiday will remain. And what holiday do you think that is? Interesting. That would be my answer too, by the way, Stephen. When you think about it, of the entire schedule of Jewish holidays, you'd say to yourself, which holiday after the Messiah comes, according to Maimonides, which Jewish holiday will remain? Which is to say that all the other Jewish holidays, think about them all. All of them will be removed from the Jewish calendar, according to Maimonides. This is all a theoretical discussion, by the way. All of them will be removed except for one. So I would agree with you, Stephen. My personal choice would be, although it's a hard day, Yom Kippur, enormously important. Yes. Pesach. Pesach. Why Pesach? The beginning of the Jewish story. Okay. Anybody else? Simchat Torah. What a beautiful idea. Yes, Simchat Torah. The holiday that we celebrate the conclusion of the reading of the Torah. There's lots of certainly different suggestions that you can make. And Maimonides goes to point out that the holiday that will remain while all the other ones are taken off the calendar, off the schedule. You ready for this? <laughs> it's Purim. I know. That the reading of the Torah publicly will no longer be an obligation according to Maimonides, but the reading of the story of Esther of the Megillat Esther, the story of Purim, will be an obligation? And the question is, why? If you look at the Jewish calendar very carefully, you know that Passover is the beginning of the Jewish calendar, of the holiday cycle. And Purim is the very end. But Purim is even a stronger, more pragmatic arg argument. Because we don't live in a world of Passover. There are no plagues that are going to come and save us. God is not going to part the seas to bring us to safety. The story of Purim ultimately is the story of the kind of world that we live in. It is the story where God inspires us to defend ourselves, where the idea of faith in God inspires us to do what we need to do in order to survive. As we think about Tisha B'Av, the destruction of the first Tekah, first temple and the second temple and the other horrible things that followed in Jewish life, we are also reminded that the story of who we are in this moment is not the story of that past. Our story, thank God, today is a story of autonomy and self-defense and cunning and strength and resilience and above all else, the understanding that where we have been has brought us to the strength of where we are now. Maimonides, in rightly looking at the entire Jewish calendar, says to us not to look merely at the happy holidays and the sad holidays like Tisha B'Av, but in fact we realize that our story will conclude with happiness. And so even as we will begin fasting tonight, because the Jewish story is also a story of great memory, we understand that while we remember, thankfully, blessedly, that is not the world that we live in today. Shabbat shalom.